Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And that description meets perfectly with the reality of our guest today, Melissa Milani. Melissa has been on the show before. I couldn't wait to get her back on the show for exactly what I just mentioned. She is doing all of the things that this show is about, and I couldn't wait to hear about her recent marathon experience, a huge PR for her at the McCurdy Micro Marathon. And uh, yeah, it was a really exciting day for her, a really wild year for her, of course, just like for everybody. But I was excited to hear how she managed it all and continued to get more fit in light of everything that was going on. And um, yeah, I was just wanted to hear more about it. Uh, so I was excited to get her back on the show. Before we get into it, I just want to say thank you to our two sponsors for today's episode, OS First and Inside Tracker. You'll hear uh, what I have to say about them a little later in the show. But if you could do anything for the show, it's always you know, basically one of two things, you know, either check out our sponsors and or share the show with a friend or two, whether it's social media, giving someone just a heads up over email or telling them in person, uh, sharing the show certainly helps get the word out. So thank you so much for listening and let's get into it with Melissa Milani. Hello, Melissa, and welcome back to the show. Hey, Matt, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me back. I always enjoy talking to you. We talk on and off, text messages, DMs, like the occasional phone call, and you've been on the show a few times. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and I was just joking to you offline before we started that we'll spend the first 15 minutes just you listing your jobs because there are so <laughs> many. <laughs> you do a, you know, a wild amount of things. I was excited to talk to you because you just had a you know incredible marathon experience, and it was, you know, those are always really fun to talk to people about. It's just an exciting thing, generally speaking. But coming off of the wild and crazy year that all of us have had, I love to hear how it's affected you and how you seemingly have been able to improve despite all of the hurdles, I'm assuming, uh, that, that were in your way. So first things first, Melissa, tell us the jobs. <laughs> yeah, why have one job when you can have like 27, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> Um, okay. So I am a speech language pathologist by trade, education, whatever you want to call it. So I own a private practice here in central Florida, serving the greater Orlando area. And that's my primary role. And then two of my other jobs are related to that. I teach at the University of Central Florida as an adjunct instructor, go Knights. Um, and then I also do consulting for a we call it speech generating device, which is basically like a computer that helps anyone that is not able to speak with their natural speech mechanisms to be able to communicate. So I do consulting with that. I help other speech language pathologists learn about those and then get those devices for their clients, things like that. And then I do nutrition and health coaching um, and something that is on my radar, but hasn't happened yet, but maybe in the near future, we'll see, is I am looking into becoming a run coach. So we'll see. Again, why stop You know what? You have so much jobs. free time to explore this new hobby. So why not? Yeah. Who needs sleep? <laughs> Who, you know. <laughs> 
So you you mentioned a lot of things there that are um you know professions that are you know certainly you know service professions that require a certain amount of face-to-face contact with people because given the given what you're doing, I, I would assume that that doing it virtually would be a handicap to the, the service that you're trying to provide. Would that be correct? Yeah, it's definitely something that um I guess you can teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> we had to learn how to completely redo our jobs to be able to still continue to serve people. Cause just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean people need to stop communicating and kids can go without their therapies or college students can put their courses on hold. So it's been interesting, um, especially giving teletherapy. And sometimes it works really great. Some kids skyrocketed with it. They took off and others, it was a challenge. And so we really had to kind of pull out all the tricks and learn things. But um, in a way, it was really great because it forced a lot of us like me that were so used to doing things the same way we've always done to adapt and to learn new things. And it's allowed us to reach people outside of our just local geographic area. So that's been kind of nice. But I mean, it didn't come without growing pains for sure. And the biggest hurdle in the beginning of all of it was the insurance companies taking forever to figure out if they were going to cover it. So that was a big, um, big concern, but we're over it and things are moving forward. And it's kind of interesting to watch and see what teletherapy is going to continue once things, I mean, hopefully go back to normal, (laughs) but yeah, it was, it was, uh, new and interesting year for sure. In our, in our prior conversations, we always joked about how like, you're like the queen of beverages because you have like this array of, <laughs> yeah, they're holding up one right now. Um, these are, these are array of containers that seem to be following you everywhere. Um, and that you basically lived out of your car. You kept going from place to place in a variety of different roles that you had given the fact that that wasn't necessarily something that you were going to be doing over the past year. I was talking about the transportation right now, not the beverage habit. But did that mean that you could now see more clients or provide more services than you had in the past, reducing the transportation time? It did, especially with my consulting. So with that role, I cover a large part of the state of Florida. So um, when people in Jacksonville, which is like a two and a half, three hour drive from where I'm located in Orlando, when they needed a visit, even if it was like a quick 30, 60 minute visit, it was an all day affair. So it took a long time to find a day that was open for both parties and then for me to be able to go there and then come back. And so all of a sudden it allowed me to see so many people and people that were kind of aversive to virtual visits prior to COVID. Now everybody's doing them. So it was like, sure, no problem. So it it did. It allowed me to really increase my productivity in some parts of my job. It also was a big shift in my schedule because it used to be like, okay, I can get to Jacksonville, you know, around 11 a.m. and, you know, stay till one or something like that. And now it was, oh, you want a 7 a.m. visit? Sure. No problem. I can 
literally finish my run and, and come in and do this. So it was a total shift schedule wise. And I'm not going to lie. Some of it was really, really helpful, especially given the fact that my kids were doing virtual schooling last year. And I mean, one of them still is. So it's, it, it was interesting. And as we get back on the road, because I am doing in-person therapy and consultation visits now again, not as much as before, for sure, but still it's now it's like, okay, how do I juggle the, the level of productivity that was raised and also now get back out there face to face. And I think it's going to be really a, a middle mixture of the two. I don't see myself, I honestly don't see a lot of our industry going back to exactly how it was before because so much has changed and, you know, everybody's adapted to new technologies and new ways of doing things. And when you don't have to drive six hours to have a one hour visit, it, it saves the company money. It saves me time. There's just lots of benefits to it. So yeah, um, still hydrating like a champ, <laughs> um, but I don't have to pack like two lunchbox cases full of all my drinks and beverages. <laughs> I just have it here. All right. So going back, you know, roughly a year, from today, um, when you know, then all this was, was was has started to happen. The kids were are, are at home. Can you walk us through kind of the evolution of you, you know, you know, kind of your your time as a runner it, during the you know basically eleven month span from now from this time last year to when you raced um, the McCurdy Micro Marathon uh, a few weeks ago, in light of the fact that you know it, you know COVID has affected so many people's. Just daily lives, you know, you know, for like you just mentioned, you know, you're working from home, but your kids are home. So you can't just like, all right, I'm working from home. I got 45 minutes. I can go for my run. Like, no, I got kids here that even if like they can take care of themselves, I need to make sure that they're doing the right things during their school day to, you know, so it's not even a matter of like, hey, do I trust them to be home by themselves? There also is this whole idea of like, do I trust them to like actually be listening to their teacher when we're they're they're just starting distance learning, they could just be like on YouTube the whole time, so on and so forth. <laughs> For sure. And it's I, I feel very lucky, honestly, that my kids are older um when all of this started. I mean, even you with younger kids, like I don't know how you know, kids with uh, families with pre-K and kindergarten kids did that last year. Cause we were, at least our school, they were like flying by the seat of their pants trying to figure this out. And it was, it was nuts. Um, but yeah. And my husband shifted to working from home. So it was both of, and we share an office, our desks are right next to each other. And it was never an issue before, but when this happened, it was like, I cannot sit next, I love you, but I cannot sit next to you all day. <laughs> Same thing with the kids in the house. Like, so running became even more of a necessity. And it was funny when, um, all of the COVID stuff started unraveling, like hardcore back in March, 2020, I would still get up super early. I was exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically, but it was like, if I didn't get up and go out even for three, four easy miles, it was a significant difference in my ability to basically pull it all together and do what needed to get done for, for everybody, for my employees, for my students, my kids. 
and, and be a somewhat sane person. So running became a lifeline basically. And disappointment after disappointment, just like we all experienced with races getting canceled and things shutting down and just life getting really heavy. It was kind of that underlying current that a lot of people were saying like, yes, right now, right today, things are stopping, but it's not going to stay that way. And if you, Melissa, stop running and stop showing up, not only are you going to be less happy and less healthy as a person trying to juggle everything you're juggling, but you're not going to be ready when races do come back. So you really have to keep going. And sometimes I was up early in the morning. Sometimes I would like say, okay, I got to go again, like Chuck, I love you, but I got to get away. I can't, I don't want to listen to your voice for like 45 minutes. I'm going to go run around the neighborhood. So it was really running was a necessity for me health wise. And, and just feeling like that was also the, like one thing I could control. I knew I could put on my shoes. I knew the roots. I knew I could go and do that. And it was just a way to take off all of the stress and I didn't have to answer emails or texts or anything. And I could just kind of lose myself for a little bit of time. Um, and that is, in my opinion, one of the, the best gifts that running can give us is just that ability and that freedom to just be a person and forget everything else for a while. So, so I did that. And Laura, my coach, was just amazing. And she would check in and say, you know, okay, I know you're juggling uh, this with work and and this with the kids. Do you want to, you know, kind of take it down a little bit? Or what are, you, what are your thoughts? And um, I just, you know, was kind of like, well, if, if I'm a little stressed out and I skip a run, like, let's juggle it. But for now, I want to keep my eye on the big prize. You know, like Boston was a moving target for a little while. And then um, I, I think I registered for like five races and one of them stuck. And then the McCurdy micro came up and it was like, that sounds great. That, and the likelihood of those happening, I, we had lots of conversations about this in our running group too. Just like, listen, if I'm going to bank on something, I'm going to bank on that race. That's the whole goal of these races is to happen and to limit it so that they can happen. So it was, really nice to have that be a non-moving target. Like this is the date and this is the race. And I am like super confident that it's going to happen. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit. And I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that 
getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to every plate.com entering code rambling runner 179 today that's up to a hundred and four dollar value so there's a lot there thank you for sharing all of that um i really appreciate it this is why i'm so excited to get you back on the show um so i guess just from a training load standpoint it seems like you were intimating that last spring maybe even into the summer that you were running maybe a little less than you had in the past or less than you had planned on doing it simply because there were no races, like you weren't training for a marathon all of a sudden. And in addition, um, just the idea of getting out there, you know, for extended periods of time becoming a little bit more problematic. Um, from a numbers perspective, how would you quantify that in terms of like the miles that you would say would typically be running during that time period versus the miles that you ended up running during that time period. And obviously you can put in the quality versus, um, you know, obviously it's not just a quantity thing. It can be a quality type thing, you know, in terms of like how hard were you running and, th- and things like that. Well, so with things shifting, like I had taken off from marathon training and shorter, like focused on the shorter distances for a while. And then, uh, we were training for Boston 2020 and then that got shifted and, and things. So it was kind of like, okay, we're ramping up for marathon training. Okay. No, we're not. Oh, yep. We're ramping up again. Oh, no, we're not. Okay. Yep. We're going to try again. <laughs> so it was kind of like I would have maybe like 
I think with the first round of Boston training, I got about two and a half months in before it was shifted to the fall. And those weeks were still pretty, for me at least, um, decent mileage, like mid 50 mile week kind of ranges. Was, that, was, that a, was it a six day a week schedule or what yes. was it? Your, okay. Yeah. Six days a week. And usually I'd have two workouts in there or one workout and a, like a solid long run. Um, and that was helpful. And then when things shifted, we would, you know, take it back down and it might've been low forties. Um, and she was really great. There were actually, I think it was April that there were several days that she had like, you know, 45 minutes easy on my schedule. And I was like, I really need to run longer today. And so I would just go out and I'd come back and be like, well, I ended up doing nine or 10 miles today, but I really needed it. She was like, okay, well, we're going to maybe shift this a little bit so that you're not doing 18 (laughs) the next day, that kind of thing. Um, But it was honestly, I tried not to avoid any of like the workouts or the, the quality sessions because there was still that feeling of if I can get out here and just like empty the tank and hammer the road, that stress, all that like pent up uncontrollable that, you know, and I'm a total type A, this, that was a really big outlet for me. So it was nice. I never went like drastically down. I never dropped like from six days a week to two or three. Like I really needed those runs to, like I said, kind of keep my head on straight here. So it was just a lot of, we're going to build up. Now we're going to come down. Now we're going to build up. Now we're going to come down. And the, the lucky thing was the race that I ran in September as the virtual Boston Marathon was very similar to the micro. It's actually the same exact course that the Grand Rapid, the Michigan micro is running. Um, so it was controlled. It was capped. It was great. So when that was a couple weeks away, or I would say probably a month, we knew like, okay, this is going to happen. And we made sure to get a really good month of training in for that. Yeah. That's, that's something that came up in my conversation with Lisa Mueller, um, I think several months ago. It was like late, late, win- late fall, early winter. We spoke because she broke three hours in like basically like a time, like an isolated, like isolated time trial. Um, which was, which is obviously incredible, but she talked about how like the race is getting canceled while she would have never wanted that to happen. It ended up helping her because she ended up going through like two and a half marathon cycles, but with ever, without ever racing. Yeah. So she just kind of like built fitness and then like never had like the complete destruction of the, the race from which she had to recover. So it was like, you know, build, 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 and like a slight dip for recovery, and then build, 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 slight dip instead of like this drastic recovery dip, which we all need after a marathon. Um, and I'm not, that's not an anti recovery statement. Right. Please. <laughs> Social media police, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but it was interesting because then that finally when she got able to race, she'd had this, again, it wasn't, telling she improved like by an hour and 30 minutes, but she'd improved a pretty, a, a, you know, a reasonable amount, uh, reasonably high amount in that time. And it's interesting, like, again, I would never, I'm sure you didn't want that to happen. You were certainly planning against it because you signed up for five different races. That <laughs> certainly wasn't the plan. But it sounds like you might have had or experienced a similar kind of effect. Absolutely. Yes, 100%. And the the nice thing about some of that was 
when um, last summer, when the McCurdy Mile series came out, Laura talked to me about it. And I was like, oh, man, I really I hate the mile. But why not? Like, let's try it, you know? Um, and it ended up being such a great thing to do. And it was, it was one of those, okay, we're going to build and then taper down. But in that trough, if you want to call it that, we were able to focus on getting some speed and getting some focus on some other distances, which I have no doubt helped then in the next build to be able to keep that speed and that turnover going for the longer distances. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. It was, it's kind of funny, like, um, cause at the end of the day, you get to September or this last marathon, and you're like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I've been marathon training for like three years, <laughs> but it, because you never have that race. And for me, I always have to take a long recovery from a marathon. I am not one of those ones that can race and five, six days later be back out on the roads. Um, so it, it was nice to not have to have that, but still see those fitness gains. So yeah, it's not what I would have wanted to happen, you know, but it was, it was definitely a, a, a silver lining for sure. And we should say Laura's name is Laura Galliezzo. Is that, that's yes. how you pronounce it? Right. And actually just, she just announced like sort of an hour ago that she's pregnant I with know. her second, which is exciting. Um, Laura's been on this show. I think Laura's on this show. Her name was Laura Anderson. Yes. At the yep. time. Um, uh, that was a couple of years ago, but you know, she, she's fantastic. So, all right. So you, you have this wild year. You're up, you're down, you're building, you're building, you're building. Um, did you, besides the goal of going to a starting line, <laughs> did you have any other goals in your head? Cause you mentioned before you're very type A. Um, I should say very type. You said you were type A. I shouldn't throw the very out there. No, um, that, that's accurate. That's accurate. <laughs> so did you, I mean, whether it's long-term, short-term, medium-term, did you have any goals in mind as you were going through this process and finally seeing a race start to crystallize that you were confident in that would actually happen? Yes. Um, the marathon distance was the one distance that since starting under Laura's care that I had not PR'd and I knew I could. Um, and so I, I had a goal to have a PR. I also really wanted to have a 10 minute or greater buffer for Boston. So for my age, the cutoff is 340. So in my head, I was really aiming for sub 330. VDOT had me at 318, which I felt was just way aggressive. Um, it's still a goal for sure, but I was, I was scared. I was nervous of that. I spoke of that. I shared it with my friends, but I said, I feel confident that I could run just under 3.30, um, even if, you know, things kind of went out the window <laughs> on the race course. So that was my my big goal. Um, and I missed that by two seconds at Grand Rapids in September. And so for this South Carolina race, my goal was to really aim for 3.25 because that would be a 15-minute buffer. And given the limited field size in Boston this year and just so many uncertainties. My, my goal was really get as big of a buffer as you possibly can. Um, and also a secondary goal was more about the race execution. I historically have not done well with starting out slow and then getting faster in the marathon distance. I'm actually not that bad at it in the half 
but the marathon, I just kind of get out and I'm like, this is amazing. I feel great. My legs are snappy. Today's the day, the magic day that I'm going to be able to hold this pace the whole time. And it, it never happens. So I said to Laura and even some friends on the shakeout, like, I really do have a goal to try and race smart and not end up feeling like I'm clinging to life from miles like 18 to 24 here. And cause I feel like the, the finish for me, at least I can always kind of muster up and be like, you got two miles, you can do anything for two miles. Um, but so those were kind of my, my goals, my big, 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 scary, nasty, like super long-term goal is to get as close to three as possible. Um, I don't know if it'll ever be achieved, but it certainly doesn't mean I shouldn't try because, you know, faster is still better. So <laughs> That's all right. So in the past, it was a matter of you just going out too fast or that the strategy wasn't quite right. It was me. The strategy was there. <laughs> it was me executing that strategy <laughs> and going like, oh, I'm not going to look at my watch. I'm going to go by feel. And it's, you can never trust, at least I can't, I can't trust my body in the beginning of a marathon because your legs are rested, the adrenaline's going and it's kind of like- You should feel good being a marathon. Yeah, you should. Exactly. <laughs> you should feel good for a long time. And I would go out and just- go way too fast or I try to keep up with people. And I, I, you, I mean, it's all, we say it all the time, run your race, stay in your lane, follow your strategy, that kind of thing. And it's always been something that I have seriously struggled with. So that was a goal. And I actually kept telling myself like, cause there were in South Carolina, since it was such a small field size, we were nicely staggered. So you could see the people, at least I could, I could see the people in front of me and I could see when they pulled away and I could see when I was closing the gap. And so I tried to remind myself like, you're going to close that gap later. And they were probably thinking the same thing about the person in front of them, but it's like, put that out of your head, Melissa, you're going to close that gap later. And that's what you're aiming for, not closing the gap in the first six miles. <laughs> yeah. And from a course perspective, so it was, you know, it, it was a looped course, which makes it much easier for um, the kind of the limited staff working the event to you know, provide you know, aid to the runners and also keeping the runners kind of you know, cloistered somewhat together. Um, it also provides, especially with how the, the race began, like you mentioned, people being staggered, where people are, I would assume, would be pretty well aware of where they are in the field because of the turnarounds. You know, I saw so many videos of like those, like the 180 degree turnarounds. How many were there on the course and how, just how was the loop set up? So the, the course was a five mile loop and we had a 1.2 mile, um, basically like appendage from the start to get down to the course. And that made it so that we didn't have to come back uphill at the end. So it was, it was brilliant. It was perfect. But because it was looped, you're absolutely right. You could see exactly where people were. And it was great because it, it was like we thumbs up and high fives and fist pumps and all of that. Um, but you could also like, I would count out cause I was like, I'm curious how many people are actually here. And I think there was only like 30 people total on the race, running the race. Um, and we all had bibs because the course was still open to anybody else on the trail. So they had signs up and it was really nice. The people that were just out for a Saturday, 
bike ride would cheer us on and they'd get out of the way if, if we were turning, that kind of thing. Um, but it was fantastic. So you did these five mile loops and every, like basically when we got down to the race course, we made a little right to add on to the start. And then we came back and we went like a mile south, turned around, went a mile north. And so it was like a two and a half mile stretch that we just did multiple times back and forth. Um, and then we ended right there on the course at the, we made basically a real sharp left-hand turn at the appendage. And instead of going back up to get to the start line, that was the finish line. So it was perfect. And it was so awesome to be able to, number one, see everybody. You could see the people that were ahead of you, the people that were behind you. You passed the finish line multiple times. So the people that finished ahead of me, you could, I could see them either haul and butt to get to the finish line or could look right there on your right. And they were like there celebrating. And so it was really motivating to be like, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm going to be there in just a minute. Um, but it, I loved the course. The organization was phenomenal. It was honestly like one of my probably like top three marathons ever. It was so great. Wow. So did it feel like a, like if you had like a range between time trial and like a traditional race? Right. In terms of there are sort of several hundreds, several thousands of people there and say one being a time trial, 10 being that bigger race. Where did this fall in that range in terms of how it felt for you as a runner? You know, I'd probably honestly say close, way closer to a race, like probably like a seven or an eight, simply because even though the course was short, because it was looped, we saw people so many times and the spectators grew, honestly, like uh, the later that it got in the day, the more people showed up, um, people on the trail would step aside when they realized what was happening and they would hang out for a little bit and yell. Um, Esther had given the water stop people a list of the bib numbers and our names. So they were cheering for us by name, which was absolutely incredible. I mean, you want to talk about a boost. It took, I'm a little embarrassed to say it took me a while to connect the dots. I was like, how do they know our names? This is amazing. And then I'm like, oh yeah. Um, but it was such a boost and you'd see them so often. And even the people at the end, they had our names and they were fist pumping and they were like, this is your third lap. You got two more to go. You can do this. You're on pace. Like they were, they were feeding this fire and it was just amazing. And same thing, even with the, the on course runners, just, Everybody was, you know, in the beginning, it was good job. We got this. And then the talking kind of went down, but we still gave each other thumbs up or like I said, fist pump, some kind of communication. So even though it was small, the, the emotion of it, the feeling of it was just huge, absolutely huge. And there was never like, um, you know, like half-assed kind of cheers. Like anytime you went past those stations, everybody was like losing their minds for you, which was awesome because it's like, you just saw me 20 minutes ago, but you're cheering like you've never seen me before. So it was, it was just wonderful. Um, I do think that the fact that races had been canceled and we'd done so much work 
on our own solo running and, and all of the, and we couldn't run really in a big groups and stuff like that. That really helped in a race like this because you were, you were, I mean, you can be alone in a, you know, even in the New York city marathon, but there's somebody around you. There's somebody close by, but in this, you really were solo. For at least I was for the most part, there were a couple of people that might've had one or two other people with them for a little bit of the course, but it was, you know, a, a one woman show for pretty much anybody out there, um, or one man, whatever. Um, so it, I think that really helped make it not seem so much like a time trial that it was, I'm doing this, but I've got all these people yelling and some of them are yelling my name. Like, this is amazing. So, yeah. All right. So how, so tell, walk us through how you felt and what the timing was like in comparison to what you were hoping your pace would be say, during the first half of this marathon, which obviously, as you mentioned before, had kind of been your Achilles heel, uh, so to speak, in, in prior races. Yeah. So the plan was to start out close to like an eight minute pace and then slowly drop it. And so Laura put my race plan together in terms of loops. Um, so she's like, take that first 1.2 miles and just ease into it. You're going to, you know, be in the starting blocks. You're going to have the most turns in the course, except for the quick 180s and this segment. So don't stress. Um, there was a little bit of like, uh, the red clay from South Carolina on parts of it. So she's like, just ease into it. Don't slip. Don't do any, you know, have any kind of craziness happening. So that was the plan. And then to drop it by like five to 10 second ranges, every loop. Um, and I, I still went out a little too fast, but so it's five to 10 <laughs> seconds per five miles, not per right. mile. Okay. Correct. Correct. Um, and so I ended up like that first mile. Oh, and I put my watch on manual lap because that was strongly encouraged by Esther just because of number one, the course, but there was a lot of tree canopy coverage. So I did that. So I lapped it and I was like, Ooh, that was a little fast. It was about 13 seconds too fast. So not terrible, but still. Um, and so I tried to dial it back a little bit and then I was able to pick it up as the loops went, but then the wind started and there was, because you went two and a half miles one direction and then two and a half the back, you had basically headwind for one entire direction. Um, and some of those gusts were really strong. I had to hold on to my visor for a little bit. Um, and so I just thought, just keep this effort. You know, even if your splits aren't dropping like the plan was, don't stress about it, number one, but don't try and push that effort too early, like, uh, you know, in the half mark to like 16 miles. I thought that's for me, at least that's too early for me to start pushing it in a marathon. So I did that. And then at mile 14, um, I'm asthmatic and it was really cold. So I usually have some type of breathing issue after the race. Um, but what happened was I choked on a gel at mile 14 and that triggered and I thought, oh gosh, I'm going to have a flare. But, um, Kaylee, one of my friends from Instagram was volunteering and she was so wonderful. She was holding my inhaler. So I just kept thinking, okay, if something happens, I have like that there. So again, it was that hold this, don't try and pick it up, just get your breathing under control. And I was able to get it under control, but I could always feel something 
underlying there. So I, I was conservative. And at that point, my legs with the wind and stuff were also kind of pushing back. But I also told myself because I've done this in past races that I'm not going to do like marathon math where I think like, oh, well, you're already this far ahead of your current PR. So you could drop it a little bit and you'll be, you'll still be okay. I was not allowing myself to do that. So it was like, just keep this effort. And then the last loop, um, I got pretty emotional and I was just like, we're going to go as hard as you can and, and just kind of gun it as at the last turnaround, which is again, sooner than I normally pick it up in a marathon. I usually save like every ounce until like the last 800 meters, but I was like, no, we're going to, we're going to do this a little bit (laughs) sooner. Um, so so I have to, I have to ask, so you had the the breathing problem around mile 14 and it limits your ability to breathe heavy at that point. Do you think that that may have helped your pacing because it basically put a governor on the kind of effort that you were able to put out. Yeah, I do. I actually do. Um, and it's interesting because in the moment it was such a panic, like, Oh my gosh, what are you going to, and it was funny because (laughs) it happened like as I'm going past a water stop. So I'm coughing and I'm missing COVID and I'm like, Oh my gosh, these poor people are probably thinking like, what is happening with this woman? Um, but after the fact, I, I did, I thought like, you know, I wonder if that was kind of a, a blessing in disguise. Um, I lost my voice and I had some other like breathing issues from it for like a day or two later. So it was, it was probably more of a, an impact in the race than I realized at the moment. Again, adrenaline can do a lot of things and override a lot of sensations. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say so that it definitely put that governor on. That's wild. All right. So talk to me. I, I cut you off there and I apologize. So talk to me about the end of that race. Again, like so many marathoners, you're, you're starting to get emotional near the finish line. We get emotional for different reasons. Sometimes sometimes it's it's more of like, oh, I can't do this anymore. It seems like you were kind of <laughs> at the other end of the spectrum. So tell me about how aware you were of the time and, you know, your ability to really kind of, you know, kick it in at the end. So I... I always have a mantra, like most of us do. And I had a few this time, um, that actually came from friends. And Laura had written in my race plan, like I said, by loops. And one of the things that she wrote for the last loop was, this is your loop. This is for all the sacrifices. This is for all the things that you gave up and that you've worked for and all of this stuff. This is your loop. And that message along with the mantras that my friends had sent me that, that weren't any like, you know, anything earth shattering, but I, I, they just kind of blended together. And this year as a, as a business owner and as a parent, it was so it was a lesson in being selfless. It was so difficult to basically do anything for myself. It was always putting everyone else ahead of me. So when that hit, it was almost like this, I describe it as rage because it was, I got really angry. Like, yeah, this is for me. I'm taking control of this lap and this is for 
all the things that I had to give up and all the times that I had to, you know, forget what I wanted and do what other people needed. And it just like, was like this fire. And it was so strange because normally you're right. I do get emotional, but usually it's emotional in this like, oh my gosh, you're doing this. But it's like a happy, sad. I haven't had where I'm like legitimately like angry. Like I'm (laughs) pissed off and I'm going to run fast about this. But it, I think it was just because this was a year that we've never had before. And it, it, it took me by surprise, but it really helped because it was like, yeah. And one of the mantras that my friend Jen sent me, I won't say it, um, but was you're a effing badass. And I just kept repeating that like, yes, I am. I am. <laughs> and it just, it was the weirdest thing, but, and it's not like me. So it was kind of a surprise, but it helped all those things mixed together in that last loop. It, it really kicked it into gear. <laughs> so now people want to know, cause they might not already know. Maybe they didn't read the show notes or whatever. Um, so what was the time? So I finished in 327.29, which was a two minute and 32 second PR. So I'm very happy with that. I, like I said, I was aiming for 325. So I fell short of that, but I am not mad at all in the least. Um, I expanded my buffer for Boston by a little bit. So I'm very happy about that. Um, and like I said, you just, you never know what the day is going to give you and with the wind and the asthma issue and just everything it was, I had crazy pre-race nerves that I've, I've, I've never had since probably my first marathon. I'm, I'm thrilled with that time. So I'm it. And again, it just means, okay, we keep, we keep chipping away. We keep aiming for that bigger goal and, and working forward. That's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations. That Thank is you. that is so awesome. And I I loved watching all the videos during the race and there's you know some people that I, you know, follow in on social media or people who've been on this show before like Amanda Gant's a good example who were there and and were sharing during the day and and then even the next day people sharing tons of videos from this 30 person race. It certainly felt like there were more than 30 people there considering how much was shared. And it was funny. I think you had the same response as I did. I'm watching all these videos and everyone's just like running solo. So you can have a hard time understanding like what the pace is, but you're the person who won it. You know, she ran incredibly fast. You look at the video, you're like, how fast was she? I can't tell how fast she's running. And then you're like, oh, she ran a 256 or something. You're like, that's so fast. And then I remember yes. you, 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 you responding to one of the videos being like, I felt like I was running a lot of fast and this video is showing me running, which is so funny because no one, none of us, we're not on a TV. We don't get to see these videos. Yeah. When you look back and you're like, really? That's, I felt like I was like totally hauling here. Like people are going, wow, look at her go. And then you look at the video and you're like, oh, that's not. Right. I remember saying like, I think that day I had done like a little bit of work at like eight minute pace, which is like a little slower than you were running that day. And I remember thinking, I was like, people must be driving by and thinking like, wow, this guy looks so fast. <laughs> then you see a video, you're like, what? This doesn't, this doesn't mesh at all with what I was thinking. Right. Like, oh, so I 
don't look like Shalene Flanagan right now. Like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> right. And, and obviously I'm saying this all tongue in cheek, you know, we're friends. So, you know, to anyone, but it's, it's funny because like, again, you have those moments where you're like, I'm so happy. And it was funny when I saw your, when I saw your reply to the video, I'm like, that's exactly what I was thinking because I know like there's this like mental disconnect with like, <laughs> sometimes you feel like you are flying yes. and then you look back at yourself and you're like, what? Oh. <laughs> what was this? Um, but it, it, it really is so much fun. And congratulations. It's so exciting uh, to see someone who works so hard for such a long period of time, especially during this year of like, you know, to, to have like basically your first race out. I mean, you race in September, but it's a little different, you know, we're um, more than half a year removed from that. Um, the winter, you know, it wasn't like the winter was any any better from like a, a situation standpoint for anybody from a training perspective. So it really is exciting to see. So is the plan now to run, if you can run Boston in the fall? That's the plan. Um, I'm still kind of like, I don't know with a lot of things, but that's the, that's my plan at least is I'm going to submit. And if I get accepted, then great, then I'm going to run it. If not, then I don't know. And I'm, I'm trying not to make, which is kind of definitely out of, um, personality for me, out of character for me as a type A'er, a very type A'er, <laughs> um, that I'm, I don't have a plan B right now. And I'm just going to kind of see what happens with Boston. And if it doesn't end up happening for me this year, then I'm not sure. I- I'll be honest. I, don't particularly enjoy marathon training in the summer in Florida. It's really, really, really nasty. So I don't know if I'll look at it. Right. Cause all your other else. Boston's, you didn't have that, didn't have that problem. Right. Exactly. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And I'll talk to Laura and get her opinion on what she thinks I should do because I mean, our, our coaches are there to really help guide us and you know, kind of take the thinking and say, well, that might be your plan, but I think the best plan is this. <laughs> and she has never um, done me wrong ever. I trust her implicitly. So now we just kind of wait and see, keep our fingers and toes crossed for Boston. There you go. There you go. All right. I just want to, one more, one more clarifying statement regarding the videos. I, I brought this up in part because there was this, this poor woman just like broke the, um, the half marathon record. Do you see this half marathon world record? No. Um, so yeah, so she, she over in Europe, I think, and she ran like 10435 <gasps> or something like that, right? Just flying. But the person who's doing the telecast was doing it like remotely, like from their living room. Like they're actually like, they're actually like showing on the screen, like him looking up on Wikipedia, like, Talk to me about the half marathon. It was like Googling like Wikipedia half marathon. Right. So, so in, in the video, like she's flying, but like he is having, because he's watching it on video, he is having such a hard time understanding like how fast she's actually moving and like putting the math <laughs> together and like seeing how she looks on the screen. So he's like, yeah, you know, she's, no, it's, it's a little bit rainy. So obviously she's not running that fast. The woman ran a 104 <laughs> half marathon. Right? Like he, this guy's getting like basically like nationally lampooned by like his, his, his um, his misstatements there, but it's so funny because like you see pro sports on TV, and you're just like, you know, see so you like watch tennis, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, they're just they're hitting it back and forth. I'm sure it's going fast, and then you like you actually you go go to a tennis match. You're like, what the heck am I watching? Yeah, this exactly. is so much faster than it looked on television. <laughs> exactly, it's like my 12 uh, year old is constantly like, I can do that. 
I can do that. No big deal. And I'm like, you are that, that broadcaster. Matthew is that's my son, Matthew. Like you're, you're the person that's like, Oh, you're just doing this. It's no big deal. And like, no, child. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Well, hey, I'm, I'm so happy for you. Obviously, there's like a full buffet of race options in the fall for so many people to choose from, um, which obviously will lead to, you know, this time next year. Um, basically, we'll see like the race schedule that we saw like in 2019. Yeah, I know. It's going to be crazy. So, yeah, a lot of people will be doing like the, all right, if I do the, I want to do this spring marathon and I want it in 2022. So what should my fall marathon be to kind of coordinate it, right? Because, like, we saw this a year ago or a year and a half ago when everyone was getting ready for the Olympic trials in the marathon. Yeah. Right? You see a lot of pros who are doing, like, okay, I need to be perfect by the end of February. Mm-hmm. So what? how should I space out my fall to give me, like, enough recovery time, then enough build-up time, uh, and then to, to, to go into that, right? Because you have certain people, like, say yourself, like, say you – Right, there's a chance you could run potentially two Boston's in a six month span. Yeah, I mean, in it's a like, perfect world, that would be great. Right, it's like, like, <laughs> they, but how would that work? Right, like, it's like, do you want to do that? Does that leave enough recovery time? Is that you know? So then you're talking like that's four marathons in eighteen months. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, again, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting calculus for a lot of runners to figure out exactly how they want to approach the fall with the idea of like, okay, well, do I want to run, say, Houston in January or what have you? Yeah. Like a lot of people in our running group are kind of going, well, maybe because we were going to do Phoenix this year and then that got deferred. Um, and then there were a few others that were going to do other races a little bit closer. And everybody's like, well, what if we do this? And what if we do that? I'm like, well, I'm still kind of holding out to see if I can run Boston 2022. And I'm certainly not, even if we do Boston for fun, quote unquote, I'm not going to do Phoenix in February and then Boston in April. Like, no, I'm, I'm not 23 years old. I can't do that anymore. So it is, it's interesting. And all the, all the like Boston, Chicago, I love looking on message boards when people are like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fly here and then go, go to run Chicago and then fly back to Boston. And I'm like, good Lord. I don't know how, even for fun, I don't know how anybody's body could. <laughs> sustain that but i'm sure people are going to do it but yeah it's going to be interesting they certainly will melissa thank you so much for coming on the show it's always a blast to get to talk to you thank you matt it was good to be here thank you Melissa, thank you so much. Also, big shout out to OS First and Inside Tracker. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I always love hearing your suggestions about who to have on, so on and so forth. I really, uh, you know, the connection with the audience is really what makes it for me. So thank you so much for listening and for sharing the show. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.